Welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper on this Christmas Eve. And we begin today with the politics lead. President Trump is using his final days in office to unleash chaos. The president has thrown into question much needed economic relief for American families just before Christmas, though it's still not known whether he will even sign the bill and the legislation is being flown to him in Florida just in case. President Trump is also risking a government shutdown, vetoing the annual defense bill and delivering gifts in the form of dozens of pardons, many to his own allies. CNN is learning that the president is frustrated that his vice president is not doing more to overturn the election. That's what sources tell me and my colleague Kevin Liptak. And despite the president's official schedule saying he would be, quote, working tirelessly, the president today is golfing, as CNN's Joe Johns reports. President Trump teeing off his Florida holiday vacation today on the golf course, despite this schedule sent from the White House press office saying he will continue to work tirelessly for the American people. His schedule includes many meetings and calls. Moments after the Trumps landed in Florida, the White House announced 26 new pardons including two more men targeted by Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. His former campaign chairman Paul Manafort and longtime ally Roger Stone, both convicted by juries of multiple crimes, both refused to cooperate with Mueller. Now the left invites, uh, invents a totally new canard, which is Stone traded his silence regarding misconduct by the president in return for commutation of his sentence and now a pardon. That is a lie. Clemency also for Charles Kushner, the father of Trump's son-in-law. The elder Kushner pled guilty to tax evasion, illegal campaign contributions, and witness tampering in a scheme that involved hiring a prostitute to sleep with his married brother-in-law and then blackmailing him with a sex tape. Chris Christie, then U.S. attorney for New Jersey, was in charge of the case. It's one of the most loathsome, disgusting crimes that I prosecuted when I was U.S. attorney. And I was U.S. Attorney in New Jersey. Trump's pardon spree leading to outrage on Capitol Hill. It's corruption to the first degree. And Republican Senator Ben Sass saying in a statement, this is rotten to the core. The pardons following Trump's veto of the National Defense Authorization Act, something Congress must now take up Monday after leaving for the holiday weekend. Merry Christmas. The move set up a possible veto override vote that could pit Republicans against the president. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. Another thorn in Republican sides, Trump's last-minute demand to increase COVID stimulus payments, something Democrats are in favor of doing. I ask unanimous consent. House Democrats quickly trying to pass the measure today, but Republicans objected, leaving any changes to the $900 billion package in doubt. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying if the president is serious about the $2,000 direct payments, he must call on House Republicans to end their obstruction. Meanwhile, Vice President Mike Pence in Vail, Colorado for his holiday, getting greeted on Twitter by a blast of criticism from Democratic State Senator Carrie Donovan. She writes in part, stay tuned for a story a day of things that would be different if you had chosen to lead and address instead of ignore and minimize COVID-19. And she writes that Pence should make sure you pack a mask because it's a mandatory mask zone. Merry Christmas to the vice president.
Back to you, Pam. All right, Joe Jones, thanks so much reporting for us there in Florida. And meantime, we have Ron Brownstein, Abby Phillip joining us to discuss all of this. Good to see you both. So, Abby, today I'm learning that President Trump and Vice President Pence met for an hour yesterday, just before, not long before Trump retweeted that post saying Pence should act to stop Congress from accepting the Electoral College results. And Trump has told people around him recently that Pence isn't doing enough to fight for him. What do you make of this dynamic between the president and vice president? Well, I think this is probably the toughest spot that Mike Pence has been put in yet in the Trump presidency. And he's worked really hard over the last four years to avoid publicly contradicting the president, to avoid these kinds of public conflicts with him. But this might be one that he just simply cannot avoid. There are not many options available to him to do what the president wants him to do. Uh, and, and frankly, what the president wants him to do is based off of, um, you know, internet memes that he's retweeting online and not based on anything that is legal or um, or allowed as part of this process. So, you know, it's not clear to me how Pence is going to handle this. You know, he can not preside over this session, but I think both options are bad options if you're Mike Pence. But perhaps uh, the worst option is that if Mike Pence wants to have a post-Trump future, uh, it will reflect reflect very poorly on him if he tries to undermine the will of the American people on the Senate floor on January 6th and going along with uh, a really ill-fated scheme by President Trump. Right. I mean, it's the will of the American people or the will Mm. of Trump. And all of this, of course, comes on the heels of a Lincoln Project ad targeted at President Trump. Take a listen. He's backing away from your train wreck, from your desperate lies and clown lawyers. When Mike Pence is running away from you, you know it's over. It's over. And Mike Pence knows it. And uh, John, this one with Axios reported that Trump just recently found out about that commercial and got really upset. And I think that is when he really started to direct his ire toward the vice president. But through all of this, Ron, Pence has remained very loyal to Trump, as Abby pointed out, from the beginning. How does he walk this tightrope now, given his own likely political desires? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. Everyone who tries to ally themselves with Donald Trump sooner or later comes to a point where it's clear that alliance uh, and loyalty for him is entirely a one-way street. And everyone sooner or later gets asked to do something they know they should not do, often many times something they should not do. Uh, and we have seen, you know, through the four years, the Republican Party repeatedly fail that test. You know, as I've said to you before, Pam, you don't get to this point by yourself and you don't get to this point by in a day where the president is trying to undermine the election, where he is doling out pardons uh, to allies and to uh, Confederates really uh, who block, tried to block the uh, the Mueller investigation. You get there only because he has concluded, I think fairly, uh, after four years, the Republican Party in no way will constrain him uh, uh, or try to hold him within the boundaries of the rule of law. And so now uh, not only is he threatening Mike Pence, but as you've seen, he is threatening already primary challenges against Republicans uh, in 2022 who he feels did not work hard enough in his effort to overturn the election. And I, I, I believe this is essentially what Republicans have locked themselves into for the next few years by allowing Trump to spread this fantasy that he wasn't defeated, that the only reason he's not taking the oath is because the election was stolen. Uh, he, they've uh, enlarged his uh, leverage in the party and made themselves more likely to be living under his thumb for months to come. Yeah, he's making 
making lots of threats. I, I'm told by someone close to the president that he's mad at everyone. And you know what? Right now, yeah. what he's doing also is threatening relief for millions of Americans by upending that economic relief that was passed. Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell recounted this conversation that she had with a struggling father. Let's listen. A father who called me two weeks ago and who said to me he had told his child that Santa Claus couldn't come this year, but he wanted to be able to feed her for Christmas. And then the president, when we finally thought that we'd be able to give people hope, that's what people need, hope, and be able to begin to continue to work on this in January, doesn't give a damn about people. So, Abby, the president has played these political games before, right? But it seems as though there is a different dynamic at play. First of all, the stakes are so much higher for these millions of Americans and the fact that the government shutdown looms. But also the president lost this election and some would say he has nothing to lose by just throwing out fire after fire right now. Yeah, I mean, from his perspective, I'm sure he thinks that he has nothing to lose because this is a president who looks at everything through the lens of his own self-interest. But it is incredibly tragic that, uh, you know, we're here on Christmas Eve and the president is in Florida golfing, uh, holding up a bill that could get money in the pockets of Americans who desperately need it. And he's doing it for no good reason other than that perhaps he wants to punish Mitch McConnell uh, and John Thune for, for daring to say that Joe Biden is the president elect. uh, That is really beyond the pale. I mean, I think um, it is hard to express how incredibly, um, uh, you know, just wrong that is. And for people to be watching this, I mean, there's no recourse. President Trump is still the president. He can do whatever he wants to do. Uh, But the the fact that we are in this situation is not because the president wants to give people $2,000 checks. He could have said that and pushed for that three or four months ago. It's because he wants to be able to throw a wrench into this process, uh, which he knows that he can do, but he should not do. And there are probably not enough people, especially on the Republican side, saying that to him right now. And what's so interesting about what's how this is playing out, Ron, is how the Democrats have responded to the $2,000. You had Nancy Pelosi yeah. say Democrats will introduce a bill to increase payments to $2,000 as the president requested. You have the Democrats in Georgia involved in the Senate runoff jumping on this. Um, what's going yeah. on on the Republican side? Where is McConnell in all of this? Well, look, I, I think they're as often, you know, totally confused uh, as to uh, what the president is doing or if there is any strategy involved here. Because as you say, uh, uh, his demand has has amplified the Democratic demands for weeks, for months, for a much larger payment, particularly in those two critical uh, Georgia uh, runoff uh, elections. So uh, it is, it is. but look, this is the bed they have made. I mean, you know, they have chosen over four years to kind of always find a way to excuse his erratic uh, behavior. And what's happening since the election would be reprehensible on its own terms. Terms, trying to overturn uh, the votes, disenfranchising voters uh, in four states, 20 million people, the pardons that he's delivering, 91% of which are uh, to people who have some sort of political or personal contact. I mean, all of that would be reprehensible on its own. But when you consider what's, what is happening instead of Instead of action on the COVID uh, spike, which is now taking the death toll of a Pearl Harbor or 9-11 a day, not to mention the enormous human need that is uh, the bill is trying to respond to. I mean, when you look at kind of each side of the ledger, the chasm between what the president is doing and what the country needs at this point really could not be wider. 
And you brought up pardons. Abby, I want to go to you on this for your analysis, because the president has been giving out dozens of pardons, including to those convicted in the Russia probe. I covered the Russia probe, and I, I recall Robert Mueller mentioned in the report uh, that they had looked at whether President Trump was obstructing justice by dangling pardons. And now, Abby, it seems um, all of that may be coming to fruition here. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly the type of behavior that, um, you know, not even years ago, but but probably about a year ago, that even Republicans were saying President Trump dare not do this because it would implicate him uh, in uh, a, a basically an obstruction of justice scheme, that he would basically be acknowledging that people who protected him uh, were going to be rewarded with pardons. And you heard the same kind of uh, conclusion from Andrew Wiseman, one of the top attorneys on the Mueller investigation who said that unlike any of these other uh, kind of cases that you might prosecute, when you're dealing with the president of the United States who does have this unilateral power to pardon, uh, you can't prevent things like this from happening. And so I do think that this was inevitable, but um, it is so beyond the pale. There has been nothing like this in American history, truly. And I think that, um, you know, it should give people pause, I think, going forward about what this can mean, about what justice really means, even if you're the president of the United States. Yeah, Tim Naftali was on our air saying, even Nixon didn't do this. He dangled, but he didn't even follow no. through with it. Ron Brownstein. It's demeaning to American democracy, right? I mean, it, it just makes America look like a tin pot dictatorship in the final hours, kind of an addled, erratic, uh, you know, un unsettled, uh, tyrant, strongman who is kind of doling out favors as the, as the walls close in. And it really reveals all of those uh, Republicans who have enabled this for four years, who have taken us to this point step by step as kind of the courtiers who have traded their dignity, trying to squeeze out momentary self-advantage, the kind of things you see in a third world country. I mean, I think that label now applies to Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio. They have all brought us to this point by allowing Trump to believe that they will stand with him no matter how outrageous, as, as Abby said, behavior that is now really unprecedented in American history. All right. Abby Phillip, Ron Brownstein, thanks for coming on, sharing your opinion, perspective, and uh, Merry Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, Pam. Yeah, indeed. Well, not heeding the warnings, hundreds of thousands of Americans are traveling right now. What this could mean for the new year up next. Plus, new concerns about allergic reactions to the Pfizer vaccine. We're going to put that all in perspective for you. And happy birthday, Dr. Fauci. The country's favorite COVID expert opens up about his holiday plans and his future. Is he retiring soon? You can find out next. Welcome back to this special edition of The Lead. Turning to our health lead, now a new travel record during the pandemic. 1.2 million people went through airport security yesterday. That's according to the TSA, and that's despite the CDC. Dr. Anthony Fauci and countless other experts and leaders warning against traveling and gathering right now. And as CNN's Alexander Field reports, a prominent COVID model is now upping its forecast, predicting more than half a million deaths by April. Even on this COVID Christmas, America's airports are packed full of people. Florida, from Orlando. I just came in from Denver. Mom really wants to see us, you know, you can only say no so long. On Wednesday, a new pandemic era travel record set, nearly 1.2 million passing through airports, according to the TSA, which has counted around a million flyers on each of the last six days. We've got lots of masks and lots of hand sanitizer and headrest covers and gloves and disposable everything so yeah. feeling good 
Even so, images of so many air travelers are fueling fears we will in fact see another surge, superimposed on a surge, and dark January days ahead. We are very scared about what we're about to see. Hot spots are now spread out all over the country, from Maine to Alabama to California, which has passed the eye-popping threshold of 2 million COVID cases, a first for any state in the nation. A few months ago, uh, we had five COVID patients in the hospital, and now we're up to nearly 100. So that shows you the within just a couple months how much it's accelerated. Hospitalizations are at a record high. December will soon become the deadliest month of the pandemic, and we are careening toward a total of 330,000 American deaths. That's one in 1,000 Americans killed by COVID. We need to tell everybody that this is not the time to have large indoor maskless parties, uh, holiday parties. This is the time to hunker down. The CDC now projects as many as 419,000 deaths by January 16th. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation upping its projections again after just one week, predicting as many as 567,000 deaths by April. Their model suggests more than 33,000 lives will be saved from now till then by vaccinations. Okay. 9.5 million doses of them have now been delivered. Just over a million doses of Pfizer's vaccines have been administered, according to the CDC, much less than expected. So far, there have been fewer than 10 cases of allergic reactions, but that's actually a bigger number than experts thought we'd see. We are working with the FDA and the CDC to set up together a very, very high performance active pharmacovigilance system that resembles almost to the day the assessment that we do in clinical trials. And Pamela, in yet another sign that this Christmas will be unlike any before it, along with sending letters to Santa this year, some children also sent letters to Pfizer. One asking for enough vaccines for everyone, another asking for a vaccine for Santa. Pfizer's CEO has responded saying this just underscores the importance of the work they're doing. And Pamela, for the record, Dr. Fauci has also confirmed that Santa himself has in fact been vaccinated. That's right. He confirmed it right here on CNN. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. Well, joining me now is the co-director of Center for Vaccine Development at Texas Children's Hospital, Dr. Peter Hotez. Good to see you. I know it's always tough for you to be the bearer of bad news about where we are with this pandemic, especially the day before Christmas. But we got to face reality here, Dr. Hotez. We are seeing ICUs across the country full or near capacity. What does this potential surge after the Christmas holiday uh, look like for hospitals already full and frontline workers overworked? You know, Pamela, as I think about, you know, tomorrow being Christmas, it was January 1st of this year when when most of us heard about the COVID-19 pandemic starting out of uh, Hubei province in China. I just never believed that we would get to 330,000 American lives lost by Christmas Day and still accelerating at 3,000 deaths a day. And, you know, at this point, there's such a screaming level of transmission in our nation that it's hard to even know what's due to a surge and what what are due what's due to anything else. It's such a high baseline level. It's hard to even uh, detect that that rise. It's it's hard to believe it could get any worse. But here we are, and those dismal projections from uh, IHME uh, we're probably looking at 420,000 Americans who will lose their lives on the on inauguration day on Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. I just can't imagine how we could have let ourselves go like this. 
It's it's just it's just tragic. I mean, to to hear you say that. And, you know, I think for so many of us, there were so many months into this pandemic, we've been hearing the warnings. Is there a threshold where we have such a severe surge that it doesn't matter that we have these additional holiday cases because our hospital system is so overwhelmed? Just if you would try to paint a picture for us of what that looks like. Well, I think the the message is that we can still save lives. Uh, Remember, the mortality numbers really go up, the deaths go up as hospital staff gets overwhelmed. It's not so much the beds. You can convert a regular bed into an ICU bed. It's not having sufficient number of trained nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists and, and, and everyone else that goes to the care of an ICU patient. And when our ICUs get overwhelmed, we saw this back in March and April in Southern Europe in New York City. That's how the mortality numbers skyrocketed. And so this is happening now all across the country. We're, we're reproducing that Manhattan and New York City epidemic uh, for March and April now uh, times dozens of times, and we still can stop it. And this is why the message has to be: we can. You know, there, no one has to lose their lives over the next few weeks and months. We have vaccines on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a tough message to get across, though. And we have this new COVID model that's predicting 567,000 deaths by April 1st, but that we can save more than 33,000 lives with vaccines and 49,000 lives with more mask wearing. Uh, Do you think that that is realistic? And is that sort of what you're talking to in terms of it doesn't have to be as bad? That's right. Uh, remember, every every death that we're talking about this afternoon is preventable. Uh, we have uh, the vaccine efficacies look great. We're going to have more vaccines. Uh, I expect in, in the new year, not only will we have the two mRNA vaccines, we'll have the two adenovirus vaccines from J&J and AstraZeneca Oxford. We'll have the particle vaccine from Novavax, maybe our vaccine that we're accelerating right now uh, in in India. Uh, So we can move pretty quickly vaccinating the U.S. population after we have all those vaccines. And so we have to stop thinking about those numbers. We just threw out 420,000 Americans dead by inauguration, 567,000 by April 1. None of this has to happen. We have the ability to stop these deaths, getting vaccines out, keeping masks on, social distancing. We just have to get everyone to hang in there a few more weeks. But help us understand the fact that there are more than 9 million doses of the vaccine that's been delivered across the U.S., but just more than 1 million have actually been administered. Yeah, that's disappointing. It's not too surprising, though, because uh, of the different vaccines, as we've been discussing, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is the most complicated logistically because of that deep freezer requirement. And this requires extra amounts of work and unpacking and monitoring and doing the inventory and and making uh, ultra certain there's no temperature incursion that would make the vaccine go bad. It's more fragile than uh, uh, some of the other vaccines. So on the the other way to look at this is if we can get this right with the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, it'll make it'll provide a glide path uh, for the other one. So it is a little disappointing that we've not ramped up more. On the other hand, this is the toughest of all of them, and and we'll have the Moderna vaccine, which is a little bit more forgiving in terms of freezer and, and temperature requirements, and then it gets easier from, from then on. Yeah, and that is certainly encouraging. All right, Dr. Hotez, thank you for coming on. Uh, Merry Christmas Eve. Thanks for all of your hard work during this time. Thank you, Pamela. All the best. Merry Christmas to you and family. Thank you. Well, chaos in the Capitol, a key Republican senator admitting he has, quote, no idea 
what Trump plans to do, leaving lawmakers baffled and millions of Americans on the brink of a financial crisis. This is a special edition of The Lead. Stay with us. In classic fashion, President Trump has sent Congress into a new triple tizzy. Today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi tried to give him what he wanted on stimulus relief, raise stimulus checks up to $2,000 instead of $600. That failed. There's the defense spending bill. Congress will be back next week and may override his veto, which could be a first in Trump's presidency. And the third cliffhanger is tied to the first. That would be the stimulus aid that is still in a larger government funding legislation. So without stimulus, we are in for a government shutdown midnight Monday if there is no deal. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, I want to bring in CNN's Phil Mattingly. Phil, where does Congress even start here? Yeah, it's been a bit of a head spinning couple of days. <laughs> but let's let's start with the president actually needs to, to receive the stimulus and funding bill. And that is actually on its way to Florida, to Mar-a-Lago right now via plane. It was enrolled earlier today. The big question, though, is what is he going to do with it? And the reality, Pamela, is that the answer is nobody knows. And that's not just Democrats. That's not just reporters, Republicans that I've spoken to, Republican senators, their top advisors saying they don't know what the president is going to do at this point in time as it pertains to COVID. COVID relief and the potential for a government shutdown. So where does that leave things going forward? Well, you mentioned the National Defense Authorization Act. The House will vote to uh, to override that veto on Monday. The Senate will follow suit shortly thereafter. But right now, and I think the biggest thing on everybody's mind, given the economic issues so many are facing in the country, what is the president going to do about the COVID relief money? Nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows. And that's the scary part, uh, given how many millions of Americans are suffering right now. And you have the Democrats who are on board with raising stimulus checks. So the deal really comes down to Republicans. But are there any signs they'd be willing to budge? No, there aren't. Obviously, you had the kind of procedural efforts on the floor this morning. House Democrats trying by unanimous consent to pass an expansion of the $600 checks that are in the current package up to $2,000. Republicans objected. House Democrats will have a full up and down vote on a similar piece of legislation, on the same legislation, actually, on Monday. Republicans are not likely to vote for that in mass. Some may, but Republicans over on the Senate side have made clear there are not the requisite number of votes to get that passed through the Senate. The reality here, I, I think this really needs to be understood, Pamela, and you know this well. There's no alternative right now. There's no secret plan waiting in the wings if the president decides to veto this bill. It is basically a hope and pray moment. Those are the words people have been Mm -hmm. using that he signs this, that he changes course, that he decides to sign it because right now there's no alternative. And as you mentioned, we were talking yesterday, your sources are saying they're having a hard time getting information from the White House. So everyone's in the dark. The president is increasingly isolated and it's anyone's guess. All right, Phil, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas. I expect a string of major announcements from President-elect Joe Biden in the coming days. He has yet to name at least five cabinet or cabinet-level positions, and Biden himself says announcements may come before the year ends. CNN's Jessica Dean is covering the Biden transition from Wilmington, Delaware. So, Jessica, Biden hasn't named his choice for attorney general or CIA director, and he takes office in just 27 days. Delaying his decision any longer may put more scrutiny on those selections. Yeah, yeah, Pamela, it certainly gets a lot more attention from outside groups who we've already heard from. Uh, but the longer the delay goes on, the more advice they're getting from outside groups, uh, the more people are weighing in, the more ch- the chattering class is weighing in. Uh, but Biden and his team will maintain that they are taking their time because they want to do this deliberately. They want to go through the process. He sa- said as much on Tuesday when he was asked about this, uh, when he was talking with reporters, he said he's he, there is no clear choice, no obvious choice 
race, particularly for attorney general. We know that there are two top contenders right now. Our reporting indicates that that is Judge Merrick Garland and outgoing Alabama Senator Doug Jones. But it's not out of the question that he takes another look at deputy, former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates or former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. We also know that he has said time and time again, politics is not going to play any role in his Department of Justice. He wants it operating very independently. And then another factor going into that decision is that we're told he's keen to roll out additional Justice Department uh, nominations as well for Deputy Attorney General, uh, the Civil Rights Division. So that is adding to this as well. You mentioned there's four other slots to fill. That includes CIA Director, Commerce, Labor, and SBA. So all of these things need to be filled in the 29 days before we get to his inauguration. And then, of course, Pamela, there's the question of getting through all the, the confirmation votes and the confirmation hearings, which will take its own time as well. But we're expecting this uh, to come to a head in early January. Pam. All right. Sounds like Joe Biden has his work cut out for him. All right. Thanks so much, Jessica. Yeah. Well, someone else having a quiet Christmas at home, America's favorite infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, up next, what he's doing this year that he hasn't done in nearly 40 years. Welcome back to this special edition of The Lead. Turning to our health lead now, the nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, turns 80 today, and he got some special birthday wishes. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Dr. Fauci. That was President-elect Joe Biden and incoming First Lady Jill Biden. And last night, members of the Bethesda Chevy Chase Rescue Squad surprised him with socially distant birthday wishes as he left work, as you see right here. Um, but Fauci is sticking to his own advice, and he told CNN that he will not be doing any kind of family celebration. I definitely feel sad. I have three daughters ranging in age from late 20s to early 30s. This is the first holiday season of Christmas and my birthday that I have not spent with my daughters since they were born. Yeah. Let's bring in CNN's Elizabeth Cohen. Uh, Elizabeth, you talked to, to Dr. Fauci and you got some insight on just how strenuous this past year has been for him. That's right. He told me that he has not taken a day off since mid-January. Now, Pamela, this is the man who helped get this country through HIV, through pandemic th flu, p uh, past Ebola. And I asked him, did you ever think that you would be helping get the country through this in your 80s? I never would have really expected that on my 80th birthday, I would be knee deep in trying to contend with and address a global pandemic of historic proportions. Do you think you'll ever retire? <laughs> well, I, I think I have to be realistic, and I think that sooner or later I'm going to have to do that. I don't see that right now clearly in my future. The only thing I see ahead is the challenge that we are currently facing. Do you work 24-7? Well, not 24-7, but more like 18-7. <laughs> At age 80, does it wear on you? I, I don't pay attention to the, it's wearing on me. I, I think uh, so. sometimes I'm really quite exhausted, but, you know, you just keep going. Now, Dr. Fauci said that he will keep going into 2021 as the chief medical advisor to President-elect Joe Biden. Pamela? 
That man has stamina. Uh, it is impressive. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And again, happy birthday to Dr. Thanks. Fauci. And right now, meantime, many of our healthcare heroes are on the front lines. They are working through the holidays to save lives. Joining me now is one of the Michelle Acido. She is executive vice president and chief nursing officer at Holy Name Medical Center in New Jersey, one of the hardest hit hospitals during the pandemic. Michelle, thank you for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank okay. you for all you do. This battle is so personal for you. Three of your family members ended up in your hospital, including your mother-in-law, Edna, who lost her life to COVID-19. Here's a picture. Tell us, first off, how is your family doing right now? Well, you know, each milestone, each holiday is, is difficult, but everybody sticks together and gets through it. What makes it more difficult is not being together for the holiday. So like millions of other Americans, our holiday will be virtual for so many people in our family. And we you know, constantly talk back and forth. But uh, it doesn't get easier with each milestone. I can tell you that. So if you would tell us what it was like for you to be working as a nurse amid the crush of the pandemic and you have loved ones who are in the hospital getting treated for COVID, then you lose your, your mother-in-law, you're grieving, you're still having to go into work, battling on the front lines. What has all of this been like for you? You know, it was a very difficult time, but I'm, I'm very honored that I was able to be at the hospital. We had no visitors at the time and having the ability to be that connection between the rest of the family and be with her and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law was really an honor for me when so many people didn't have that. So many people uh, don't realize. Okay, we just were at that time. They were the connection. We're having who couldn't be here. We're having some some technical touch and go here, but I think you're back now. Um, I just want to talk about that a little bit more because. What was that like for you emotionally, though, to have your loved ones in one part of the hospital battling COVID and you're still having to treat other patients at the same time being a nurse on the front line? That must have been incredibly difficult. It, it was difficult. It was but it really was something I felt I had to do and I was honored to do. You know, I worked very long days for 47 days in a row. So I was able to be there every day with them and right up until the time of her death and the discharge of my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. So, yes, it was difficult and it was very stressful. But at the same time, it was a very good connection to the rest of the family, which I felt was very important. Mm -hmm. Nobody else really had that. And so as a nurse, we are both the caregiver and the family member. And that was really important. And we're seeing right now, Michelle, hospitalizations remaining at these record levels across the United States. What is the situation right now at your hospital? So right after Halloween, we saw an uptick. And again, after Thanksgiving, right now we have 54 patients and uh, 14 of them are on ventilators. We'd like to see that number lower. We're happy it's not over 100 at this point. And we're very cautiously optimistic at you know, with the Christmas holiday, that people are listening to these small gatherings, social distancing, mask wearing, so that we don't see that uptick again as we did after Halloween and Thanksgiving. Yeah, what is your what is your feeling right now? Because we're seeing that uptick uptick right now after Thanksgiving, right? Um, that's what we're seeing reflected in the numbers: these record deaths, hospitalizations. What is your message right now on Christmas Eve? 
to, to people right now who are wanting to get together with their families to celebrate the holiday? My message is keep your gatherings to the people that you live with. We have next year and the year after that. We don't want to see anybody hospitalized because they thought it was okay. The biggest risk is when you take off your mask and when there's a family gathering, there's always eating associated with that. When there's eating, then the mask comes off. So we really, really want people to keep the gathering small to the people that you live with, wear your mask whenever possible, and continue to socially distance. We always have next year, and we have to look forward to that. And just very quickly, how are you holding up and your colleagues? It must be draining. It, it was very draining. You know, when we saw that lull over the summer, I think a lot of us had some false hope that we were close to being finished with this. And as the uptick occurred, it, it was a very big strain. You know, you could see it on every nurse's face, the here we go again, the code mm. blue, the rapid response. It was very difficult. And, you know, we were there for each other. We understand it because we've all lived through it. But um, it, it is a very big strain. And you're still right in the middle of it. It's, it's a marathon, and you're still running that marathon. Michelle Aceto, thank you. Merry Christmas. And by the way, happy 81st Christmas. birthday to your father, Joe. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's very sweet. Thank you. Well, up next, the question on the minds of every child right now, where is Santa? Go grab them. We're going to show you right after this quick break. Don't miss it. Oh, how we need this bit of good news on this Christmas Eve 2020. And if you have kids around, bring them in the room for this one. This may be their most important story of the day. Santa Claus is coming to town for the 65th year in a row. NORAD is using its most sophisticated aerospace technology to track old Saint Nick. I want to bring in the top gun in charge of NORAD's mission. He's General Glenn Van Herc. General, thank you for coming on. I know you have a very busy day uh, tracking Santa, but we appreciate you taking the moment to talk to us. First, where is Santa now and is he on schedule? Uh, Santa is on schedule. He's currently in Europe. He's uh, transitioning quickly uh, through the many countries of Europe. All right. So this tradition started 65 years ago with a typo in a Sears ad. If you would, tell us how all of this came to be. How did that happen? Well, you're exactly correct. It was an accident in a flyer for a department store that had a wrong phone number. That phone number was to our command center and uh, when the young child called that phone number, Colonel Harry Shelp picked up the phone and answered. He quickly realized that that youngster was looking for Santa Claus and the location of Santa Claus. And he act absolutely provided that. That started a series of calls to the command center, which they followed through. And here, here today, uh, 65 years later, we're honored to continue the tradition. What an assignment this is for you. And, and we're all wondering how the pandemic has changed how your elves do business this year. If you could explain that for us. We've had to adjust a little bit. Uh, our, normally we have about 1,500 volunteers in our call center to take calls from uh, children and families around the globe. But to maintain safety and the, the well-being of all those, we had to skinny that down a little bit. Mm -hmm. But we found other ways through great support to provide uh, the same experience for our call-in. So they'll either get a, a message or they have opportunities through our website or many of the applications. What kind of messages are coming in this year? Well, everybody wants to know where Santa Claus is and what time is uh, Santa Claus going to be at their house. Uh, we continue to provide that. Uh, the message I would give to our young kids watching today is Santa Claus will typically show up between about 9 p.m. and midnight. 
make sure you get your cookies and milk out before 9 p.m. and get in bed, and uh, Santa Claus will be right on time. And, of course, he is the most important essential worker by far. He's got to be taken care of with those cookies and milk. And Dr. Fauci told CNN he personally went to the North Pole and gave Santa a COVID vaccine. How is he feeling since getting his shot? Do you anticipate him needing any breaks tonight? Well, I don't interact directly with Santa Claus, but I don't expect he'll take any breaks. He's been doing this for a long time. He knows how to maintain a safe environment. I expect Santa Claus to uh, uh, to be right on time and safely execute his mission overall tonight. Okay, and also we got your video today of Santa's ambitious trip earlier to the International Space Station. Was that a first for him, a trip first for him? Yes, this is the first year that Santa has visited the International Space Station. So after stopping in New Zealand, he made a trip up to the uh, space station and then continued on. We're happy to announce that. Well, that is that is very good to hear. And this year, families can track Santa on cell phone apps and with Amazon Alexa. You've come a long way in technology from the Santa Tracker phone line. Absolutely. And that was made possible by our support, not only from our Department of Defense folks, but the commercial industry as well, Amazon Alexa, uh, Verizon and many others have done an incredible job to ensure that we continued this tradition and experience. And just really quickly as we wrap up, um, just given your experience, how much fun or, or what has this been like for you? What kind of an assignment has this been like for you? Well, it's, it's incredible and it's an incredible opportunity to represent the men and women of uh, United States Northern Command and NORAD, a binational command with the Canadians. So it's an absolute honor to do this. All right, and we just see right here, we just want to note 1877-HI-SANTA. That is the NORAD Santa Tracker Call Center. All right, sounds good. Thank you so much, General Glenn Van Herk. Thank you. Merry Christmas. We really appreciate you coming on. And that's it for the special edition of The Lead. You can follow me on Twitter at Pamela Brown CNN, or you can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Happy holidays. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.